today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you as you're seated today in the presence of the Lord. Today I want to look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. The Bible said, Now the first day of the feast was unleavened bread. The disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want to prepare for the, uh, you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city and a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. And now as they were eating, he said, Surely I say unto you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to, to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dips his hand with me in the dish will betray me. And the Son of Man indeed goes just as it was written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better, uh, been good for the man to have never been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I do not drink the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We've been talking about this series, Faces in the Crowd. We are talking about the first Sunday. We talked about Thomas. The setting is that of the Last Supper. It was known as the Last Supper because Jesus, after this, this last meal with his disciples, he would leave and he would uh, ascend unto heaven. And so we look at who was at the table. Who was his inner circle? Who is those that were close to him? And we find the first Sunday it was Thomas. Many still refer to him as Doubting Thomas. He's got a bad rap for 2,000 years of being uh, known as the Doubting Thomas. When the reality of it is, is he did, was not an unbeliever. An unbeliever will not believe no matter what evidence or conclusion has been brought to them. This is not what Thomas was doing. He was wanting more information because he did not have the information that the rest of the disciples had. He uh, was heavy-hearted. Some theologians say that he was um, even depressed. And so therefore, he stayed home from church on the first Sunday after resurrection. He missed the, the uh, visitation of Jesus. And so the disciples go and tell him, Thomas, that how all of this had happened and 
And he has a hard time wrapping his mind around such a thing. Because he was there and seen Jesus die. He was there and seen him put into a tomb just a couple of days earlier. And now they suggest to him that he's at church on Sunday morning. How many think you would have a hard time with that? All right, the rest of you might be lying. Here he is. He's seen all of this. He knows he's dead. And now they're telling him Jesus was at church this morning. Uh... It, it, it was difficult because nobody had ever seen this take place. They knew he had, was dead. They knew that the humiliation, they seen the embarrassment, they seen all that took place. And now just three short days later, they say Jesus showed up at church. He was only asking for the same information or the same privilege to see what they had already seen. I mean, no, there's a lot of people that doubt today and, and they just need to see the Jesus you've seen. They need to see the Jesus in your life. They need to see the one who came to where you were, pulled you out of the muck and the miry clay of sin, and put your feet upon a solid and a firm. They, they won't even believe what you've been through looking at you now because you, you, you're looking all good and, and, and the blessing of the Lord is upon your life. But the reality of it is that none of us look like we do here today, but we, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But by His grace, He has picked us up. Somebody needs to see that Jesus that's working in your life. Can you give him praise today? <coughs> the second week we looked at Peter. Peter was struggling. He, <coughs> excuse me, he loved the Lord, but yet he was struggling. He, he said, uh, Master, he said, I'll never forsake you. Everyone else may forsake you. Everyone else may quit on you. Everyone else may give up on you, but you can trust me. You can depend upon me till the end. And Jesus tells him, he says, Peter, he says, I appreciate all of that. But the reality of it is, is you'll deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that's exactly what happened. He denied that he knew Jesus. He rejected Jesus. And the, then he finally starts a cussing fit so that they can make it more believable that he is not one of Jesus' disciples. And says, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I don't know who you're talking about. I have nothing to do with him. And he would put this, he would be, deny that he was ever a part of who Jesus was or his disciples. Much like us today. I told you last week, this is the, the best Jesus had to work with. These sitting around this table are the best Jesus had to work with. And, and being the best that he had to work with, it sounds a lot like us today, doesn't it? It, it seems a lot like us that we, we, we still struggle sometimes with unbelief. We still struggle sometimes with sharing our faith with others and letting other people know that we're a part of his glorious kingdom. We are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and we, we, we think that maybe we believe God or we know God. But yet we struggle to tell others about him. So my, my intent in this series is to show you that, that Jesus' inner circle wasn't so much more different than what we are today. What we are here in this building today. Because they struggled and we struggled. 
We, if we're not careful, will allow religion to put them up on a pedestal and make us think that they are so much greater than we are. And I do not want to take away from them. I do not want to belittle them. But I want you to see that they struggled with the same things you're struggling with. They're dealing with the same things that I'm dealing with. And the only way that we can overcome is the grace of God. Amen. Today I want to look at another one of those disciples in Matthew chapter 26 verse 14. Just prior to what we read in the beginning of this message this morning we find this. It said then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver and some uh, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him or to betray Jesus. I want to talk to you about Judas today. Looking for this opportunity to betray Jesus. John chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was and he uh, was dead and whom he raised from the dead. And there made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who had betrayed him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he, had, he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> and the money in the box he used to take what he was put in it. This is the Judas that I want to talk to you about today. Most of the time when we read this text, we are referring to Mary's worship and how that she took this precious spikenard, this oil that was worth so much, so valuable, and poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped her, his feet with her hair. It was the, the greatest form of worship. But today I want to talk to you about the other man in this picture who is named Judas that is sitting at Jesus' table. He is in the inner circle. And I want to look at him today because this is the man that Jesus appointed treasurer of his ministry. Now, I don't know if that rings kind of strange to you or not. Jesus knowing all things. And he appoints a thief. An embezzler. To be treasurer of him. If I would have been there, I think I would have pulled, pulled Jesus aside and said, Jesus, I know you know everything. But listen, <laughs> there's more qualified people here. There's more trustworthy people here. Uh, you know, Judas isn't, he isn't the top notch. He isn't the one that, that maybe he should be handling the money. But how many know Jesus knew exactly what he was doing? Because Jesus does everything with purpose. And he chose Judas 
to be the treasure for a purpose, for a reason. And I want to look at it here this morning. I'm going to give you a few scriptures. Is that okay? All right. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, do not lay up your, yourself treasures on earth where moth and the rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither the moth nor the rust destroys and where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is telling us in this text that the things that are here, the things that are now, are not as important as the things that are eternal. The things that last forever. We tend to, to make the insignificant significant. We tend to make the un unimportant important. We tend to, to gag at a gnat and swallow a camel. Right? And when, when Jesus appointed Judas to the treasure, it was to let you and me know that money is not as important as we think it is. Money and materialistic things are not important to Jesus. That was, that was the lowest thing on his mind. It was the insignificance of money or finances that, that Jesus didn't care so much about. And so he said, it's okay if a thief handles it. It's okay, Judas, if you want to skim off the top, you live with that. Amen. Now listen to me and listen to me good, please. I'm not telling you it's okay to steal or embezzle. I'm just simply telling you that Jesus used this as an example to let us know how insignificant that materialistic things are. How insignificant money is. Amen. Jesus didn't lose any sleep over Judas taking money from his treasury. Jesus didn't lose any sleep over Judas doing what he was doing. What kept Jesus up at night? What caused him to lose sleep was not money, but it was things of eternal value. What kept him up in the garden just before the crucifixion was not wondering what Judas had done with the money. What kept him up in the garden right before his death was that, that he, his concern for souls, his concern for the lost, his concern that man had been kidnapped by the enemy and was now held hostage and was bound for hell and torment and, and, and sin was abounding in their lives. This is the thing that kept Jesus up. This is the thing that kept him awake at night is how he would be able to, to rescue humanity so they would not spend eternity separated and lost and undone without his presence forever. How did he endure the cross? How did he endure the shame, the humiliation, the embarrassment? How did he go through all that he went through? As we've seen the video today and, 
And Chris used the spoken word. And didn't he do a good job with that? Amen. Amen. Yeah, he did a good job. But this was excerpts from the Passion of the Christ. Whenever the Passion of the Christ came out many years ago, people said it was too morbid. It was too, it was too gut-wrenching. It was too bloody. But I submit to you today that it paled in comparison to the reality of this. They could not put a person through this kind of pain. They could not put a person through this kind of beating. But that day on the cross, he endured the cross. How did he go through the humiliation? How did he go through the beating? How did he go through the piercing in his side? How did he go through the, the, all that he went through? Looked like he had been run through a meat grinder hanging on that cross and the blood dripping down upon the ground. The Bible says the way that he did it for the joy that was set before him. What joy? What joy is in hanging on a cross? What joy is dying upon a cross of Calvary's hill, Golgotha, between two thieves? What joy can there be? I tell you the joy. He was not doing it for the moment. He was looking into 2019. He was looking into you and to me. And he said, for the joy of your salvation, for the joy of your hope, for the joy of your redemption, that you can spend eternity with me. For that joy I was able to endure the cross oh somebody ought to be happy about it today he wasn't focused on the moment he was focused on the future and the future was destiny of eternity of mankind being in the presence of father God see God owns it all He's not moved by money. He's not moved by your checkbook or your bank account. He is moved that of all mankind spending eternity separated from him in hell. That's what moves God. We need to treasure what Jesus treasures. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he, was, he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. This story is we see a man who has found a treasure buried in a field. He went, when he found that treasure, he hides it again. He, he takes all that he has and sells it to leverage what he has to buy what he does not have. Are you with me? Some say that this treasure was Jesus. It was salvation. And I can see that point in, in that Jesus is very, has to be very important to us. Uh, I want to tell you today that, that salvation will never go on sale. 
It doesn't matter what this culture tells you. Salvation will never go on sale. You've got to give it all. You've got to surrender totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to gain what Jesus has for you. Amen. But this pearl is not Jesus, it's not salvation, but salvation must be important to us until we are willing to lay down everything in our lives to, to trust and depend upon the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But I won't tell you why that, 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 that cannot be the pearl of great price cannot be Jesus is because Jesus and salvation cannot be bought. It's too great a price. Nobody can pay the price that Jesus paid. And so we, we can, it cannot be redemption. But I want to submit to you today, the man who found the treasure in the field was Jesus. And he came into the world to seek and to save all that was lost. Are you with me? And he's the one that took and thought that, that the, found the pearl of great price. The Bible says that inside of us, in this earthen vessel, there is a hidden treasure. In all of us. And God sees you as valuable. He sees you as important. He sees you as significant. He sees you as a great pearl. Amen. And Jesus was willing to give it all. Amen. He was willing to give it all. He paid it all in full on the cross of Calvary so that he could get the pearl of great price. What is the pearl of great price? It is your soul. Amen. And he comes and pays the price so that mankind can be set free. All of us is in a, in a field today. When you look at the fields, you see the world that is around us. You see the culture that is around us. You see the dirt, the muck, the mire, the sin, the all that is around us. And we were in that sin. We were in that iniquity. But Jesus, by his love and his grace, would reach down his arm of grace and mercy. And he would extract us out of the muck and the miry clay. And he would place us up on a solid foundation called salvation hallelujah and he wrote our name in the lamb's book of life and called us to be a partaker of his divine nature and now he's that we are the chosen one we're the called out one we're the predestined one we're the one that has royal blood now flowing through our veins glory to God he is the one that said I found a treasure I found a pearl and he was willing to give it all on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could come out of the field of sin and know Jesus as our Savior, know God as our Redeemer, and for eternity we would spend it with Him. Amen. You see, the treasure in the field is you, it's me. And He gave everything for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son he bought us with his own blood. He paid the great price so that we could spend eternity with him. Amen. You see, we must prioritize the things 
to overcome this present world. We must understand that we are not purchased by silver and gold, but we are purchased by his own blood. Amen. Materialism means nothing to God, but we have made it our God. Materialism means nothing to God, but we have made it our God. We determine our self-worth by what we have. How successful we are by what we drive or what zip code we live in or what clothes we wear. It's quiet. What watch we have. Or maybe what phone we've got. Materialism become our God until we'll do everything for another dollar. Amen. We'll sign ourselves out of intensive care on Sunday night so we can go to work on Monday to make another dollar. Oh, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Because we have made this so important to us. But the reality is it means nothing to God. The truth is money is the lowest form of currency. It's just another piece of paper. If there's nothing to back it up. Amen. And we must ask ourselves the question, is the materialistic things that we have right now and desire to have worth more than what Jesus has provided for us for eternity? We have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to live for the materialistic things that are decaying and depreciating? Huh? You know that brand new car you rode off of the parking lot with and it made you feel so good until the payment book came and it devalued the moment you pulled it off of the lot? Huh? Has anybody else besides me ever bought a car you couldn't pay for? I mean, didn't have no business getting it, but you just had to have it. Isn't it amazing how we, if we want something, we can get it? I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail today. But it is true, what we want, we somehow get. Amen? But you see, we have to ask ourselves the question, is that materialistic things worth it? Is it worth it thinking that other people think I made it because of the house I live in? Is it, is it worth it thinking that, that I've made it because of the vehicle that I'm driving? Is it worth it whenever, whenever it is fading away, when it is dying away, when it's all decaying away? Your house is decaying right now. Your car is depreciating right now. The money that you have is not a guarantee you'll have it tomorrow. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Am I willing to let go of the love of money, the love of pleasure, the love of self-gain, the love of self-gratification? Am I willing to let go of that to receive what Jesus has provided for me? 
Because what he has provided for me never fades away. It only gets better. What he has provided for me never decays. It only appreciates and grows in value. The treasures are, should not be our silver, our gold, and our house. But the most valuable thing in your life should be what is still remains 10,000 years from now. To enjoy the presence of Jehovah God. To enjoy and, and bask in His goodness, His grace, His glory, His mercy. Not even heaven is my treasure. But being in the presence of God, that is my treasure. That is my reward. That is that what I desire. And the most amazing thing in my life is to know to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Everything is passing away except that which is eternal. And it only comes comes through Jesus Christ. You believe that? Give him some praise here today. In John chapter 13, verse 21, it says this, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And when the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke and now there was leaning on Jesus bosom the one of his disciples whom Jesus loved and Simon Peter motioned uh, to him and asked who it was of whom he spoke one of you are going to betray me <clears throat> I bring this to your attention because of the fact that it was not obvious who it was that would betray Jesus. Judas's love for materialistic things was so well hidden and blended in with the other disciples that no one even thought that it might be Judas. I say that to tell you that the love of money, the love of materialistic things is so subtle. It creeps into our lives and robs us of all of the joy, all of the peace, all of the rest, all of the contentment that is in our lives. It subtly comes and takes over our life and steals and kills and destroys. Judas did many good things. In fact, he did some wonderful things. And I submit to you today that I believe that, that Judas loved Jesus, but he did not love Jesus more than he loved himself. There's a lot of good people who have fallen victim to the God of materialism. It doesn't say, come and and I will overtake your life. It doesn't have a billboard that says come and, and get some of me and, and I'll, I'll show you how to live a miserable life and, and live a sleepless nights. It doesn't tell you, it just shows you the pleasure. It shows you the joy, it shows you the smile. But suddenly it comes in and takes over your world. And we become victim. Yes, we love God. 
but we become lovers of things more than lovers of God. I believe Judas started right, but he ended wrong. It appears that Jesus rebuked about the oil and what I read to you of Mar- when they went to Mary's house and or, excuse me in Lazarus house and Martha and Mary were there and Mary pours this this oil upon Jesus and, and prepares him for his burial and and Judas speaks up and says that should have been sold and given the money given to the poor and and the scripture tells us that that he wasn't worried about the poor he was concerned about the money But this rebuke seems to set him on course. It seems to strike a nerve in Judas that causes him to leave that meeting place and straightway goes and finds those who are seeking Jesus and he asks them, how much will you give me to betray him? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver, the the, the amount, the cost of a slave. When I look at this, when, when, when someone knows to do right and they're not doing right, you can quickly be convicted. Judas knew what to do at Mary's house. Judas knew what Mary was doing was right. How do I know this? How do I know that he knew that he should be giving his very best worship? Because in the Hebrew, Judah means praise, but in the Greek, Judas means praise. He was named for what his life was supposed to be about but he had sold himself out for 30 pieces of silver materialism things that were going to pass away Judas knew that God was worthy Jesus was worthy of all of his worship and all of his praise I don't have to tell you if you're doing the right thing I don't have to tell you if you're living the wrong way You see, the Holy Spirit still doing His work and doing it well. That He convicts us of sin and of righteousness. And whenever we see someone else doing what we know is right and we are no longer doing it, conviction will touch our hearts. Whenever we know what we're supposed to do and we're not doing it, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin but also righteousness. You see, Judas means praise. But when he forgave, forgone his praise and began to value materialistic things over the presence of God, he would give it all for 30 pieces of silver. Betrayal is one of the most hurtful and painful and most difficult things that you will ever have to try to overcome. Why? Whether it's in your marriage, it's in a business, if it's in a friendship, it's because no one can betray you if you've not let them into your life. If you have not given them access to your life 
then they cannot betray you. But when you have allowed someone into your life that you have trusted and they betray you and they begin to say things that are not true about you, it is the most difficult thing that you will ever have to deal with. And that is exactly what Judas has done to Jesus. He, he, Jesus has allowed Judas into his life. He sees him when he gets up in the morning. He sees him when he goes to bed at night. He sees everything in between. He sees all of Jesus' life. And he is so close, but yet he chooses to betray him. For 30 pieces of silver. It seems so cheap. After all Jesus had done. It seems so cheap after all of his faithfulness to them. It seems so cheap after Jesus being so loyal to them. And Judas makes the choice to betray Jesus. But before we are too hard on Judas, let me ask you, what have you done with the pearl of great price? What have you done with what Jesus has paid for, hung upon the cross and died for. Have you, have you given it away for materialistic things? Have you, have you forsaken him for this present world? Have you given what he has given you that is a treasure that is not just valuable today, but is valuable for all of it? What have you done with this treasure? That has been made available to you and to me. I know you love Jesus. It's hard to find somebody that won't tell you that they love Jesus. But do you love him more than you love yourself? Do you love him more than you love materialistic things? Do you love him more than the things that are give you joy and pleasure for this present moment? What have we done with the pearl of great price? What have we done with this great valuable treasure called salvation that cost Jesus everything? He died for us and he's just asking us to live for him. What have we done with this great treasure? I know we all enjoy what he has done. We enjoy salvation. We enjoy deliverance. Huh? We enjoy healing. We enjoy the provider. But do you love him? Anthony, come. Do you love him? Are you in love with him or are you in love with what he's done for you? Because if you are only in love with what he has done for you, you will give it up for something in this world. His grace and his mercy and his provision, you'll never be the same. I said you'll never be a same. I'm afraid all of us, like Judas, have betrayed Jesus at some point in some time. But the question is this. What did you do with the truth when you're confronted with it? 
I'm going to say that one more time. We're all Judas here today. We've betrayed Jesus at some point in some time in our life. We've gone after the pleasures of this world and, and fulfilled the desires of our own heart and our own lust and enjoyed the pleasure for a season. But, but, but the question is, what do you do with truth when you're confronted with it? You see, Judas, when he was confronted with truth, the Bible said he went and he hung himself. He was ashamed, he was embarrassed, he was humiliated, he was overcome, huh? But how many know he didn't have to do that? Jesus said, if you will come to me with a godly sorrow, I'll in no wise cast you out. If Judas would have turned and went to Jesus, Jesus would have redeemed him and saved him and the outcome would have been so much different. What do you do when you're confronted with truth? The difference between Peter and Judas was their outcome, how they responded to the truth. Judas responded to the truth and went and hung himself and died in his sin. But when Peter was confronted with truth, he said, my Lord and my God. Today, our outcome, our future, I'm not talking about the days that are ahead, the moments that are ahead. They'll be much brighter. But what I'm concerned about today is what Jesus is concerned about. And that is the eternal the thing that lasts forever. Do we continue to run trying to find our joy in materialistic things that will always fade away? Or do we turn to the Father and ask Him for His mercy? Ask Him for His grace? Ask Him, create in me a pure heart and a right spirit and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I want to run to his arms today. I want to run to the Father and say, here I am. Unworthy, but you paid it all for me. You did something for me that I can never do for myself. And so I'm going to run into your arms of grace. I'm going to run into your arms of mercy. And I'm going to say, God, I need you. Stand with me today, please. If you'll just give me a couple of moments here this morning. Just reverence the Lord in this place. bow your heads today. I, I haven't come to convict you of anything. I've come today to present to you the gospel of Jesus. I've come today to challenge you with truth. 
nothing that I haven't preached to myself before I came to you. But maybe you're here today and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of things in your life. Maybe that materialistic God has overtaken you. Maybe the pleasures of this world somehow have slithered in and choked out the life of Christ and now you're only living for the pleasure of the moment or for the day and you just say I need to get back to the Father maybe you've never known Jesus as your personal Savior but you would say today I've come to a realization that he must be priority in my life we're not talking about making a decision today we're talking about making a change today where you say I surrender my life and I give my life for what he has given his life for that I can have life and have it more abundantly if the Holy Spirit is touching you today challenging you today wherever it is, whatever it is. You may love Jesus, but you say there are some things in my life that I've put value in that I need to let go of. I need to reprioritize my life. Or if you don't know him or you know that you're lost and undone without him today, whatever it is, Anthony's getting ready to sing and when he sings, I want you to come and I want you to pray today. I want you to say to this father that has given everything, given his son that we can have life and have it more abundantly. I surrender all today. I give it all to you. Amen. Because I promise you no matter what we have, it pales in comparisons to the value of eternal salvation. And so as we sing today I want to invite you to come if you don't want to come by yourself as I often say don't worry ask somebody to come with you but don't miss this moment don't miss this moment for your life to change forever Jesus has already done all that he can do now it's up to you and it's up to me to respond to truth will we run from him or will we run to him he wants us to run to him today will you do that come on Anthony
Come and pray Leave with these behind today. your regrets and mistakes. Come on, there's others of you today. Come Just today surrender to him today. No surrender to him today. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. Hallelujah. Born. Jesus is calling, oh, oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, oh, come to the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ.
and mistakes come today there's no reason Jesus 
bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Anthony sing this verse in the course one more time this altar is still open this invitation is for you you're here today and you say you know what I, I just want to make that change but it seems difficult I want to go forward but it seems difficult this opportunity is for you don't allow pride to stop you from what Jesus has done for you don't allow anything in this world or the expectations of people. Don't worry about any of that. This is between you and God. And so, as Anthony sings this verse in the course one more time, I'm going to ask you today, this is, this is your chance. This is your opportunity. If you're still waiting, if you're still lingering, if you still want to make that step today and have prayer at this altar, this invitation right here is for you now.
the risen Christ we thank you today that there is none other as we call upon your name today we are saved from our enemies we thank you today for every heart every life everyone that is represented here today God I pray today as we leave this place on this resurrection Sunday that we always remember all year long what you did for us so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. I pray that you would protect us from the spirit of materialism and the God of materialistic things, that we would not allow it to grab hold of us and choke us out, but that we would keep you first in our lives every day of our life. And God, for this we give you praise and thanks today. I pray that you would bless each and every one here this morning. Bless them in their uprising, their downsetting, their coming in and their going out. I pray that everything that their hands touch calls it to prosper and be blessed. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In the matchless name of Jesus. And amen and amen. Hallelujah.